headquarters in the union like the Air Force Party 1 robbery for person preference a carjacking 2004 black on their court. Call was Sure of this 20. Advise yet on a tag for that 2004 Black Honda. We're currently behind warning. It's going about 40 miles an hour on 85 right now. Real time, that car does come back to an 04 Honda. Same year as the one stolen. You guys are behind the carjacking vehicle. Helicopter, we copy. We're getting there, warrant. Just keep giving us updates. There, I got multiple dogs coming through. We got one running at Moore's Park. 1219, I'm 72. We still have one outstanding. Hey, so the last known direction of travel is going to be south off the of 85 into the woods. Hey, man, we're on scene. We are in the woods. We are tracking. We got about six dudes with us. Hey, I believe they have number two in custody down here off 85. Welcome to the Uniformed Reality Podcast. Police officers sharing their stories. This is their reality. Welcome back to the Uniformed Reality Podcast, where police officers are sharing their own stories for a reality nowhere as uniform as you may think. Sun Tzu is accredited with the saying, Supreme Excellence consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. Let's put that into practice, shall we? So I've got this guy I work with. His name is Brandon, and he's a civilian employee that basically tells me what to do. Now, he's an extremely hard worker, exceptionally intelligent, and has incredible focus, but that doesn't work for me sometimes because it makes him dead set on what he needs me to do, and no amount of arguing will change his mind. So, through meticulous attention to detail, I've found that all I have to do to break his resistance is reach down to my belt, pull out my police radio, and ever so conspicuously slam it on the table. No, that's not why I opened up this podcast with a near-climactic combination of radio chatter. Why would you think... Oh yes, I can kind of see that. Well, we are actually going to dive into some behind-the-scenes movie-like action, but unlike Hollywood, these will be told by a real cop and completely realistic. About 10 years ago, when I had just started with my agency, it seemed I would receive a near-daily email from this guy named Sergeant Scharf. Now, this mystery man is sitting with me today. Sergeant Scharf, thank you for putting aside Saving the World for a few minutes to join us on the podcast. Uh, let's go down memory lane here for a second. What did your rookie year look like? Kind of juxtapose that against what we see as police today and what it might have looked like back then. Well, you you know, after the academy, you go into quite a bit of um, what we call field training. Um, after field training, I, I was put on um, third shift, which is really a good shift, obviously, to learn because, um, you know, we all know late night, dark, a lot, a lot of things happen um, that police obviously can get involved in or, or you know, stumble upon. So I, I, I worked on third shift for about a year, you know, where I learned a lot of you learn a lot about suspicious activity, even though it's it's third shift. Believe it or not, there's quite a few people out, and uh, you get you get to know a lot of people. You learn to talk to people. You know, there's oftentimes fewer officers, so a lot of times you're initially making contact with people by yourself until other. So you you learn how to really uh, really talk to people, and um, you get get the get. You know what you, what you need to be successful as a police officer. I I believe on third shift. Now it's not a it's not a shift of choice for a lot of people because of the hours, but um, it is a good working shift to learn. 
Yeah, I was assigned to a third shift the first five and a half years of my career, and I'll back you. It might not be the most desirable shift to work, but I tell you what, it was some of the most fun that I had on patrol. It is. It's. It's. You know. You get. You. The other thing about working third shift is you get a lot of opportunity to make the decisions. Yeah, and you learn how to make those decisions in in crisis and in times of. Uh, you know, you don't always have someone there to help you make the decisions. You got, you know, things happen in our world really, really, really quickly. Yes, so. they do. Now, as you got past your rookie year, though, you got off of third shift and went into what is now kind of modern day CRU, Crime Reduction Unit. It was called Street Crimes back then. How did you find that as your niche and what did you do there? Well, I spent about six years in what was called Street Crimes. Street Crimes got decentralized. And at that time, uh, the, the captain I had and, and over our division had asked me if I, I intended to go to the um, decentralized street crimes. And, and I, I, I just be honest with you, I told him, no, I'm a very loyal person. I wanted to stay in the division where I was at. I enjoyed working there. I enjoyed the neighborhood I worked in, um, the people that we were trying to, you know, help. And, and so I, I didn't want to leave. And he said, well, that's good. I'll, I'll, I want to, I'm going to make you a position as a community coordinator the, our community coordinator wants to go to street crimes and wants to go to the centralized street crimes unit. And I said, well, that, yeah, that's perfect. So I, I ended up being a community coordinator. Now, of course, he said, you know, I still want you to continue to do what you do, um, grab an officer from a shift, whatever shift you work, and uh, just ride with another, you know, a patrol officer and um, go out and do what you do. Just, you know, obviously do the liaison with the community. And and, and frankly, I, I got more productive that last couple of years because of the amount of information I had coming in from the community um, being in that role. So it, it really, really helped out. And then, you know, it, the biggest thing working as a police officer is information and getting to know the people around you, getting to know the people you, you know, are going to intermingle with, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. You know, you, you got to get to know them. They got to get to know you. That you, you build a certain degree of trust. Even, again, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, you build a certain degree of trust. Well, it sounds like you were involved in some form or fashion in addressing violent crime or its precursors, whether or not you were on street crimes or whether or not you were as a coordinate, uh, as a community coordinator. And now you're probably one of, if not the longest standing violent crime sergeants that our department has. Is that true? Oh, oh, yeah, I would say so by by quite some by quite a bit. I mean, my most of my time was spent. As, as a police officer, as a sergeant in violent crime. Why so long? Well, I just, I, it's something I enjoy. You know, it's just some people find their, their niche in, in policing. Some people um, become community liaisons, community coordinators. Some people like investigating house break-ins, property crime. Um, some officers uh, like, you know, doing traffic details, you know, and some, off, some officers like working violent crime type stuff. And when I say violent crime, I mean, you know, narcotics trafficking uh guns adws you know i also did as a street crimes um officer when i was an officer i also investigated all of our um adws assault with a deadly weapon um and i, I was i was fairly successful at that again mainly because of the amount of information i got from the community you know i i, I can remember one time getting a phone call and as the as the i'll just say informant was calling me he, I could hear the gunshots in the background, and he said, "Hey, Sharf, they're you know so and so shooting so and so over here off of 
whatever street it was at the time. And, you know, we were able to get out there and, and catch him before he left. So I just had a, a gross amount of information coming in that just really helped, really, really helped out. But again, that was trust, you know, and that particular informant, you know, unfortunately for him, he, he didn't stop his way of living and um, it, it cost him down the road. And, and I was the one who put him there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I, you know, we always had a even in the end, you know, when it when it was all said and done, I can still he, you know, he walked to our office and he turned himself into me. You know, unfortunately, he did quite a bit of time at the time for, for what he had done. And, and it was narcotics trafficking, but it still was a relationship. Of course. Now. We as cops traditionally don't like to talk about our own achievements. We, you know, we, we see it as a job. We don't see it as something that people should praise us for. So I'm going to try and pull this out of you a little bit. I, I'm aware that your unit achieves quite some impressive clearance rates. And, you know, we were talking beforehand and you said up to two or three times the national average. What do you think it is that allows your unit to outpace other departments across the nation? Well, initially, we we did all of what we call persons robberies and business robberies. We were we held at about forty, about a forty percent clearance rate, which is double the national average. Um, I, a lot of that, I, I think, is you know obviously the exceptional work of our detectives, the the motivation. You know, there's a selection process that goes into it. You know, things like that. So, I mean, obviously, we 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 try to select the best detectives we can select. Um, you know, we're a very diverse group of, of detectives. So, I mean, their, their work is, to me, bar none, the, the, some of the best in the department. And they get real, and again, in our unit, they get real good at talking to people, which, which helps too, because we talk to a lot of people. We interview a lot of people because we, back then, we would bring through 1,500 to 2,000 cases a year, which, you know, is, is dr- really, really high numbers um, of cases. For, so case management, their ability to manage cases, um, certainly technology, I mean, that has been a, a huge driver, you know, compared to the days, you know, again, when I was, when I first started, I drove in a car that didn't have any electronics. It didn't have a computer. It didn't have anything you, you, and if you wanted to know who was driving the car in front of you, you had to stop them for whatever reason, um, you know, whatever legal reason you had to stop them and, and get out and talk to them. You know, now you there's you know a gross amount of information through the computers you get. Now it wasn't that way for long. I think it was a year or so they started to, you know, they they started to phase those cars out and put other ones in. But anyhow, so the the amount of technology, uh, and then our our ability to, um, you know, we get up and go after it. We don't wait. I've heard a saying that you know I never really liked, and and it was you know well that you know the 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 suspect will come to you. Well, the last time I checked, not many come and turn themselves in and say, hey, I did this. You know, you, you, we've got to go out and find them. So we, we changed some things. We got out on the road. We, we started knocking on doors. We started talking to people. And, and again, through the use of technology. And the technology gives us the lead, and then the detectives have to go out and, and finish it. Seems to be there's two themes that you constantly dip into to help you with your investigations between relationships and technology. Now, you mentioned the story earlier where you had developed this informant. I would love to dive into that a little bit more. It's obvious you found it very beneficial to not only build relationships with the community, but also with those who maybe you've arrested in the past. Is there another time that you have seen this really pay off? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I I just, I can't even, there's so many times it's paid off for me. I'd be here all day, I'll tell you, and I, and I, just today, 
just today I uh, I had to help out some detectives. I, I won't say what unit, but I had to help out some detectives. Their their sergeant wasn't in the building at the time, and um, they were having an issue with somebody at in the uh, interview room. He wasn't being very cooperative. He wasn't being combative by any stretch of imagination, but he just says, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. And, and, and legally and by law, he, 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 he would have had to have done those things that they were asking him to do, but they didn't want to force him. They didn't want to have to put hands on him. They asked me to come over. And as soon as I turned a corner, I recognized him immediately. I asked the officers what his name was. I couldn't remember. And as I asked him, he turned to me and said, Hey, Sharf, what's up? And so I, you know, when they told me his name, I sat down with them and I asked everyone to leave the room for a little bit. And uh, we started talking about, well, it was, uh, it's been, it's got to have been 15 years since I've seen him, 12, 15 years. Wow. And, um, you know, he, he, and I, you know, I just asked him, I said, man, look, here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen. Can you please just cooperate with us? You know, because if you don't, we're going to end up doing it anyhow. And you know how that turns out. And, and you know, he finally, he finally said yeah i'll do it i'll do it and so we we talked for a little bit more about what's going on in his life and you know and and obviously he's going through some tough times but again that relationship i had with them years ago you know helped out even even now to this you know fifth again it has to be 12 15 years later so i mean that's one i mean I, there, there's so many other times where relationships um how you talk to people your demeanor with people you know something i'm very I'm personally proud of it's not so many not so much the arrests we made and the things we did to obviously help the community and we did we did a lot of good things to help the community the the, the officers I worked with in street crimes I mean they're just phenomenal guys and um, you know I wouldn't have been as successful as I was they wouldn't have been as successful as they were without one another you know and the thousands of arrests we made and, and you know a lot of them felonies we very minimal uses of force you know if we used force on people Honestly, out of the, all those arrests, a handful of times and, and minimal at best, I, I would I would say that's probably a lot. So, I, you know, I'm more proud of that fact than I am of the, of the actual arrest because, you know, that goes to sh- that just goes to show the relationships there and, and the trust and, and, and all that. Yeah, this relationship and this trust, this rapport that you build with, like I said, community members, but even more than that, the people that you deal with on a, almost sometimes daily basis that you end up having to take to jail. That's the kind of stuff that you don't see on TV, whether it's the media, whether it's the Hollywood shows, whatever. It doesn't make for good TV. Yeah. The good TV is the stuff that's climactic or the stuff that looks very violent. Yep. And uh, I think having you in here and talking about how, just how important that is, it's incredible to hear. And I think that that practice, what you put into your work, it's done across the department. And it is. a lot of times that's how we clear cases. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there's the relationships within the community. Again, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, obviously in every community, there's there's good people, there's bad people. I mean, every, every community in all walks of life. So whether the relationships with this person or that person is irrelevant, there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of good people that give us information through Crime Stoppers, through news tips, you know, those things that that really just help us out tremendously. Uh, you know, and, and again, like you said, the word is probably better. The better word for it all is the rapport you build. You're you're even your I guess, so to speak, you know, you, you hate to almost use the word reputation, but the reputation you build within a neighborhood is, is, is huge. Cause mm-hmm. they, you know, they, 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 it just, people talk about it and, and um, they say, well, you know what, look, 
he might arrest a lot of people. He might do this. He might, but but he's always fair and he's always honest. You know, and 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 that's and that's the that's the key in policing. You know, fair and honest. You know, integrity. Yeah, we talking about Hollywood. We see all these TV shows and movies using some pretty interesting technology to solve crimes, and obviously. We all know, you know, everybody listening here and you and I, we all know that it's seriously dramatized. But there is time. uh, There are some times that technology does some pretty incredible things. Anything stick out to you? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we use uh, incredible amounts of technology to solve our cases now. Um, You know, and I I tell you to give some props to um, patrol, just some some really good work from patrol officers. You know, we, we often... We obviously, you know, we all know that videos are out there. There's no doubt about it. And uh, we get a lot of video with our cases. Now, now our unit only does, we just do commercial businesses, robberies, armed robberies. Um, And we we have about a 61% clearance rate right now. We also do serial robbers where, you know, an individual will go out and just continuously rob until we stop him. Um, you know, we, we have techniques through technology and things like that. We're able to identify when it's the same person that does it over and over again. Um, we, we've gotten really good at that. And a lot of it, thanks to our crime, crime analysis division. Um, they're really, really good at it. They have the time to sit down and really look at video and look at cases and wording and things and just go, yeah, I think this is the same guy. And, but you know, a few cases that, stick out is you know we 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 were investigating a case uh, a guy had done at the time he probably was up to about eight or nine business robberies arm robberies you know where he goes in with a gun and he puts it in um someone's face and, and takes money from the business and the thing about those are you know it's usually a, a an extremely innocent victim and uh so he he had done about nine at the time well prior to one of the robberies he had he had done a, an officer drives by a car and um, parked behind some buildings. It was on a street. It was a street. It wasn't just parked behind some buildings. It was a, it was a city street, so it was nothing overly suspicious about it. But he just didn't like it. And a, and a and a a person had gotten out and walked away. And the officer just didn't like it. He got a he got a funny feeling about it. So he jotted the tag down. Couldn't couldn't find the guy. Didn't talk to the person who who walked away from the car. But he leaves the area. And within minutes, a robbery goes out in the same spot. He returns to the area, the car's gone. So obviously, I mean, you know, one plus one is two, <laughs> you know, and he says, oh gosh, what, you know, should have stopped the guy. But anyhow, does a great job of calling out on the radio, you know, this is the tag I had. Our RTCC is able to put that in our tag reader. The vehicle shows up all the way on the other side of the city. Within a few minutes, 15 minutes later, the helicopter locates the vehicle, our helicopter locates the vehicle in a parking lot. The officers, you know, get out with the guy, talk to him. Now, at this at this time, it, it was clearly the same guy, but he was not wearing what our our suspect was wearing. Um, so we sent I sent a detective out there to check it out. You know, there was there was not enough evidence. There was no evidence to charge him with the robbery. Um, we believe potentially we had the right guy, but it was it was kind of hard to determine at the time. So anyhow, with that being said, forward a few months. We, we did some things with technology where we were able to pin him down to um, a couple of the robberies and that, that, you know, put him at the scene of a couple of the robberies. Now, we did some more stuff with some other technology and we were able to put him at every one of the robberies. At that point, there were 16 robberies. 16. Wow. Yeah. So we, uh, w- with the help of the FBI, who is, you know, outstanding, we work with the FBI a lot. We have um, 
one of our detectives is on a straight safe streets task force with the FBI. And, um, they, they helped us with some surveillance. Um, we watched the guy and sure enough, he robbed the store. Nobody was injured. We were able to safely, obviously we take precautions. You know, if he does rob a store, obviously we're right there to, you know, intervene if something happens and, um, followed him. They, we followed him back to his house, let him get inside so we could safely hold him off there. You know, instead of trying to make a traffic stop and him running, you know, taking off in the car and we all know what that can lead to. We got, you know, we got outside of the house, we called him out and, and he came out and we safely arrested him. And he, you know, because we, I mean, essentially caught him in the act. Another, another short one, we had a bank robbery once we had the vehicle on our DLT cameras, um, leaving the scene and we were able to say, well, heck, if he went this way on the DLT cameras, let's look at the other side of the street prior to the robbery. And prior to the robbery, here comes, there's a, there's a license tag reader on the other side of the street. Well, sure enough, this um, pickup truck, we get on the license tag reader, you know, coming, going to the robbery. And so once we had the tag, I mean, you know, that was easy. Then we went and found him and, and did what we needed to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, technology has just been, uh, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I've been here 22 years, and when it all started to come out, I thought to myself, oh, God, what is all this? And uh, I don't know what we would do without it now. I, I, I love it. I mean, it's the first thing I ask the guys, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you look at this? Did you look at that? You know, and uh, even even our electronic monitoring program, you know, I mean, it, believe it or not, we get a few that, that will commit crimes while, while on electronic monitoring. And, you know, they think they're masking the, some of them think they're masking the electronic monitoring, but we have ways of being able to determine if they fiddled with their monitor. And um, so we, you know, we've been really successful in those situations too. Yeah, I, I am very grateful that our agency takes a priority in investing in technology because it is incredibly helpful whether you're dealing with an everyday investigation on a hit and run or whether you're investigating armed robberies and homicides. But one thing technology cannot ever replace is good old-fashioned police work. No, it can't. And right. I would really love to hear a story where you just, you that you know of, whether it was you or someone else, that you think is just some of the absolute best work that you've ever seen. You know, I'll tell you one where, where good old-fashioned police work. So we, and we use a bit of technology, but it was good old-fashioned police work involved in this case we had a we had three convenience store robberies committed by the same guys um and then they they robbed a drugstore also at the end so we we went out to one of the um convenience stores a detective and i and we noticed there was an o'reilly's auto parts next to it so we went over to o'reilly's checked the cameras around back of that store and sure enough it was really dark but you could see something moving in there and once we really, you know, it was grainy, it wasn't great video. That's, that's a lot of the problem. Sometimes the videos aren't, you know, you know how video is. It can be, it can be really good or it can be really bad or it can be mediocre. But um, we were able to determine that it was a motorcycles. Once we knew our suspects were on motorcycles, the RTCC did some work on it with us. And they, they were able to track these motorcycles from DOT camera to DOT camera. And they followed them for, for miles backwards and to a specific area. So we went out one day, me and two other detectives, and uh, it was funny, you know, as we're, we're searching this area, we come across this apartment complex. Well, let's check the apartment complex. Um, and it was in an apartment complex. You wouldn't, you, you know, you probably wouldn't think of suspects hiding, quite frankly. 
And um, underneath the apartments were some garages. Um, so we got a uh, maintenance guy to let us in the garage. We looked around. Sure enough, there's these three motorcycles. Well, we had a blurry picture of a motorcycle, but it had some chrome on it. So the, the chrome spots on the motorcycle all stood out. You know, you could see the chrome spots, but the motorcycle was completely black. So when you held the picture up and you looked, the chrome spots were in the exact same spot. So we knew we had the, uh, at the very least, had the correct motorcycle. So I went upstairs. I went up to the management office to see who lives in the building, see who owns the motorcycles and see if they would, um, you know, help us out. And I was, I was speaking to my bosses on the phone I, um, to let them know what we were doing and what was going on. And as I'm talking to him, I kept getting a text from the detective or calls from the detective. They were still down in the garage and I'm thinking, well, you know, he can hang on a minute. No big deal. Finally, I get a text that says, you know, get, get here now and, and get is spelled wrong here is spelled wrong. <laughs> and now, so I, I realize, oh, wow, this is important. So of course I tell my boy, I got to go. And I run out the door, run, you know, run. There was another detective she, at the time. She was standing in the parking lot. I, I said, come on, come on, come on. We got to get in there. And sure enough, he's there. And, and there's, you know, the three or four suspects have now come out of the apartment um, to go to their, uh, to their motorcycles. So he's got them all. He's talking to him, trying to, and you know, and, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I don't mind saying that they had a lot of guns on them, a lot of guns. Of course, he couldn't disarm anybody by himself. So we initially, you know, we asked, hey, do you, while we're talking to you, you know, we're gonna need to take those guns and hold on to them, and and then so we talked to him for a little bit. Um, they they ended up, you know, giving us enough to say, okay, yeah, this is our guys. We ended up um, doing a search warrant for their apartment that day, and. Once we got into the apartment, we found you know, everything, everything they had taken, everything, all the all the drugs, everything. And the, actually, the, the FBI ended up taking that particular case because it was a series and uh, pretty, pretty, you know, they were pretty brazen. So they, they got a lot of time for that. I think that's kind of that case right there is kind of the culmination of everything you've you started this podcast with from building rapport, developing relationships. I mean, you de-escalated, in essence, you de-escalated oh, yeah. a situation where these guys were not only armed, but they had a lot of guns. And from the sound of it, the way you said that, probably more than we had on the scene at the time. And on top of that, they had just got done robbing someone. And for y'all to be able to go in and work that scene without having to fight resistance, sort of like we talked about here at the intro of this episode, is incredible. And I think it goes to your experience. I think you said you have 22 years on the department here. Is that correct? It does. You know, in that situation, they were, they were, and the reason they had so many guns on them at the time, they were actually going to a range to practice, believe it or not. And, and, uh, that's the, yeah, so they had, you know, they had a bunch of guns on them and, you know, again, it was, it was touch and go for a few seconds, obviously, you know, um, because they weren't under arrest. Um, they were just at that point, just, you know, obviously somebody we were suspicious of, so it's touch and go. When they're under arrest, it's, you know, sometimes a little bit easier. Hey, don't move. Hey, you know, we you know, we can't just, you know, we couldn't just tell people who were just, eh, we're just kind of suspicious of you. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, so, it, yeah, it was touch and go. Of course, that's a dynamic that can be very dangerous. But I think that your experience and the experience of the officers that you worked with really is what made that situation successful. If you've listened to the first four episodes of this podcast, you've probably noticed a trend that every single guest has had at least 20 years on the job. Now, I've jabbed a couple of times at their age because, well, that's what I do. But 
I feel the need to take a second to recognize the near century of invaluable experience these guys bring, not only to our agency, but to the law enforcement profession as a whole. The bottom line in our profession is much different than others, but just like every other profession, the way we conduct business evolves over time. And I imagine you've caught a glimpse of this from the accounts of the four officers. One thing that we've always needed, though, and it has not changed from day one of policing, is the community's support. That being said, you can support this podcast by subscribing and sharing on social media with the hashtag of Uniformed Reality. Make sure you spell it uniformed because if you add an extra N in there, it becomes uninformed, and that's not what we are. Seriously, from the law enforcement profession, thank you for your support, the waves, the fist bumps, the kind words, and thank you for listening to our story on the Uniformed Reality Podcast. 